Today on Main Calling, how's your hearing? Do you even know? Do you have trouble hearing someone's words when you're in a crowded space? Do your kids roll their eyes when you confuse words or phrases? Turtle for hurdle, beaver for be there. Have you had your hearing checked? Almost 30 million adults in the U.S. could benefit from hearing aids, but most do not get them. Part of the issue is cost, but another is that people often don't even realize that they are experiencing hearing loss. I'm Jennifer Rooks. Today on Main Calling, we will learn when to get checked by an audiologist, and we'll learn what sorts of hearing aids and other options are available. There have been many new developments in the past few years. And we'll hear from NPR's Scott Simon about his vow to his wife to get hearing aids. Main Calling is just ahead. Maine Calling on Demand is made possible in part by Maine Farmland Trust, working with farmers to grow the future of farming and food in Maine. Learn how you can get involved at mainefarmlandtrust.org learn. And by Maine Seacoast Mission, strengthening Maine's coastal and island communities through education, health, and support. Learn more at seacoastmission.org. I'm Jennifer Rooks, and this is Maine Calling. For many people, hearing loss goes unnoticed or unheeded. Well, today we're going to learn about when to seek help, what to know about hearing aids, and other developments in hearing care. Joining me is today Krista Riccioni, who's Director of Audiology at Yarmouth Audiology, and Nicole Duncan, Direct Doctor of Audiology, specializing in pediatric hearing loss and clinical lead for Penobscot Community Healthcare based in Warren. We invite you to share your comments and questions. Are you wondering if you or a loved one maybe ought to see an audiologist? Are you thinking about hearing aids, but you've heard they're really expensive? You can send an email, a brief email, talk at mainpublic.org, comment on Facebook or Instagram, or give us a call at one 800 399 3566 1-800-399-3566. Thank you so much for joining us both. And I, I remember uh, a while ago, we had Mary Louise Kelly on Main Calling, and she talked about how she did not know for a very long time that she even had hearing loss. And I, I understand, uh, Dr. Riccioni, that that's very common, that it's very common not even to know. Absolutely. And thank you for having me on the show. I just want to just clarify that Christy Iaquesa is the practice owner here at Yarmouth Audiology, and I'm a fellow audiologist here. But yes, it's the for most people, as they get older, or with noise exposure or other reasons, hearing can gradually change. And our brains are adapted to adjust to that change. And it can take a while before it's like that final straw where finally you're noticing something is off or someone's telling you, Hey, you're not, you're not hearing the same as you used to. And actually on average, people wait 10 years to seek help from the time they first notice they have hearing trouble. Why is that? Sometimes it could be a stigma there's a lot of cultural stigma around that. But ironically, a lot of people, when they do wear hearing aids, they end up feeling younger. They're more involved. So it can be a very exciting thing if you're willing to just take that step to start seeking care. Okay. So what are the signs? I mean, I think the classic one is that you're in a restaurant and you're having trouble hearing the person you're speaking, um, you know, having a conversation with at the table. But are there other clues, other signs. Um, I often think, um, Dr. Riccioni, that it's, it's so different than eyesight, where suddenly you can't read the book in front of you or see that billboard. Hearing loss isn't like that, is it? What are, what are some of the signs that you, you may not be hearing as well as you used to be? Yes, for many people, our treble, our higher pitch hearing tends to weaken sooner than the bass hearing. And a lot of our voiceless consonants 
the difference between um, an S sound like Sam or F fan rhyming words, you'll hear some of that word like the bass components, but not always those high pitch components. So people can sound like they're mumbling too much. And if you're in a background situation with a lot of conversational noise, there's a lot of low pitch voice energy and you don't have those treble pitches to fall back on so that sound is not as crisp sounding. And again, it can be a gradual thing and you just get used to paying attention more than you used to, but it is, it's, it's insidious. Mm. Nicole, uh, Dr. Duncan, you work with kids who have hearing loss. How is pediatric care different than adult care? And, and what signs do parents look out for that their child might need help? Excellent question. And also, thank you for, for having me on today. Um, so in our clinic, we work with kids and adult, all, all ages. My specialty is working with the young children. Um, and now, in, these, in the past 15 or so years, we screen for hearing loss in newborns. So we're picking up a lot of children who are born with hearing loss or have congenital hearing loss, uh, and we're able to test them as infants. Now, there is a whole subset of kids, though, that acquire hearing loss throughout those early years. And so one of the things that I advise parents to look out for is um, with as their child acquires speech, you know, how does their speech sound? Do they have a language or an articulation issue going on? Because in those cases, we just want to check hearing and make sure that that's not a factor that's contributing to their speech delay. And that's sometimes how we pick up some, we identify some of the, you know, the three and four year olds is they've been working with a speech therapist and the speech therapist thought we should check hearing. And that's, that's how they get in the door. I want to circle back to how you started this, that we check newborns now. How do you do that? I mean, Newborns can't tell you that they're hearing or not hearing the beep in their ear. How does it right, work? Right, right. They don't sit in the booth and raise their hand when they hear the beep. <laughs> um, it's a it's a really interesting test. And the way I explain it to families is we're essentially looking at brain response to the input of sound. And so we put little sticker electrodes on their cute little foreheads and we put earbuds in the ears and deliver sound. And we can look at a response from the brainstem to that sound. And then we drop the volume really soft and see where does that brainstem response disappear? And that gives us an idea of where the infant's hearing levels might be. Krista, I understand that, you know, it, it, it's, it's plain to everybody that if you have hearing loss, you'll have difficulty with communication, but there are other problems that hearing loss can um, contribute to, correct? Cognitive decline, even depression. Absolutely. You hear a lot. If you Google hearing loss and brain health, you're going to see so much these days. And it's, Hearing aids are not a cure for dementia, but they wearing hearing aids is there's an association with lessening your risk factors for changes in your brain health. There's associations with um, less fall risk if you wear hearing aids, less um, dementia, social isolation. Um, the the greater the hearing loss, the greater the chance of some cognitive decline. It's like a ripple effect. If you aren't hearing as well, you might be withdrawing from your social interactions. And then you may not be feeling as good about yourself. You may feel more frustrated, more depressed. So wearing hearing aids helps with your quality of life, helps get you more engaged in the things you want to do with your life. So yes, there is a big ripple effect with overall emotional health, brain health, wellness. And Absolutely. what about for children, Nicole? What what are some of the impacts of children who have hearing loss? I think we think a lot about the academic piece when we when we're talking about children with hearing loss. I mean, holistically, there's great great amounts of impact, right? With speech and language development, with interaction with um, kids their age or family members. Um, from a research standpoint, that focuses more on like, what will, what will it look like when they're in school? We know classrooms are acoustically not ideal. 
um, they're, they're noisier. There's a lot going on and, and a child listening with hearing loss in that setting is, is I, well, what I say is they either go two ways. They're either the kid that's going to put all the effort in and still do really well, but be the, the listening effort, the fatigue at the end of the day is really going to get to them. Or they're the kid that's going to take a step back and say, that's really hard. I'm just going to sit here. And then kind of um, a division happens from kind of falling behind their, their peers. Nicole, I've read that 30 million adults have hearing loss. How many children, what percentage of children have hearing is significant enough to need help? Sure. Uh, great question. I don't know what the total number would be, um, but we do know, we do have some statistics around that. We think three or four in a thousand have hearing loss at birth. It's a high enough number that is now universally screened for. And then once we hit school age, so like kindergarten, first grade, it's more like five or six in a thousand so a pretty high number. Wow. Okay. So I want to ask you, Krista, about some of the causes. I think a lot of us know that listening to loud music, um, either in a concert or with our, well, now earbuds used to be your Walkman, whatever it was, uh, can contribute. I've read that video games can be a contributor to hear loss, as well as um, if you're somebody who likes to go to a firing range and fire fi at firearms, what do you see here in Maine? What do you believe are some of the predominant contributors to hearing loss? I see a lot of people reporting, like you said, uh, concerts, especially in the past, even if you were 18, that can age your hearing prematurely. Um, hunting, any target practice, firearms, that sound pressure level, that really loud sound. People say, well, I just shoot like five times in a year. But every time that shot happens, there most likely is some damage that's permanent to your hearing. Uh, power tools, pneumatic tools, the... Um, Anytime you have to raise your voice a lot to communicate with someone, or if after an exposure, you feel like you have cotton in your ears, you're just not hearing quite the same for a little bit. That's a sign it was too loud and uh, mowing the lawn. Okay, I wear hearing protection when I vacuum. I don't need to hear the vacuum. I'd rather hear someone tomorrow than that vacuum today. So just rule of thumb, be conservative because your hearing is worth preserving. And there are also reasons that um, aren't external noises, but medical reasons. If you've had an infection, mm -hmm. right? If you've had diabetes, can you talk about some of those? Because I don't think most people know that. Absolutely. There are risk factors, smoking, yes, diabetes, vascular problems, autoimmune conditions, um, some medication side effects. It's always good to keep up with your primary care provider or an ear, nose, throat physician. If you have any perceived changes in your hearing, that merits a conversation about having a diagnostic hearing evaluation. There are audiologists and there's hearing instrument specialists. Some big things to look for to have an audiology do a diagnostic test. If you have any recent changes in your hearing, hearing fluctuating, getting better, getting worse. If you have any vertigo, dizzy spells, any changes in tinnitus, any sound in both ears or just one ear, if it's a pulsing sound, for example, any ear pain, drainage, odor in your ears, and any sudden hearing changes. That's important. I've had people come in and say, you know, I lie on my pillow on one side and I hear the crickets and I don't hear the crickets on the other. That's a perfect example of getting a diagnostic evaluation. Our ears should never be too different from each other. If one seems different from the other, definitely get a diagnostic evaluation. Having a baseline for everyone, I believe, is fantastic because you can use that for future comparisons as well. Nicole, you mentioned that newborns are screened now. How long has that happened? Um, and I guess what I'm asking is, if you are older than blank, you were not screened as a baby. 
Oh, gosh, I feel like I should have done a little more homework. <laughs> Um, Is it it's 10 years, 15? It can be a ballpark. it's it's got to be in the well, I've been practicing for 13 years and it's a little bit longer than that. So I ballpark 15 years or so um, since that was mandated and not every state jumped in right away um, with the universal newborn hearing screenings. Uh, so some states were a little farther behind. Maine does a wonderful job of screening our babies. We have some really excellent agencies that kind of track that information and, and try and make sure that there aren't any babies that kind of fell through the crack. Um, some of the things that we think we miss more than others are uh, babies who are born at home. They don't always have um, quite the same access at the beginning to some of the routine screenings that are done. Um, or at midwife centers, uh, that would be similar. Um, or babies who have transferred hospitals. So they might have been born in one hospital, but were transferred to a different one for higher level medical care. Those those babies can be missed as well. And, and Krista, I'm going to go back to you. And it, it sounds like listening to what you were talking about, a baseline and, and where we're going, that you would advocate for everyone to have their hearing checked just as most people have their eyes checked at some point. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Yes. Your hearing is just as important as your vision. And if there are any changes that can be identified that need a medical look-see, definitely worth it. Whether or not it's fixable, you need to understand your hearing health. And I'm a strong advocate of having that diagnostic evaluation. You know, if you decide down the road, you wanna work with like a hearing instrument specialist, that's fine. But having an audiologist do a diagnostic and your primary care provider or your ear, nose, throat doctor has that full report with that test, you have it in hand. If there's any changes, they can use that. I'd like well, to just yeah, tack ahead. on a little bit to what Krista's saying. One of the things I always love to talk about when I have the opportunity is a condition where the hearing changes suddenly. We call it sudden sensory neural hearing loss, and it's defined typically as a, a very significant drop in one ear in a short period of time. Most of our patients who experience this can say, oh, on January 17th, I got home from work and this happened. It, you know, it's a very distinct memory to them. That's a time sensitive, like critical issue that I want everyone to be aware of. There is the, the primary cause we typically think of is a virus that has kind of attacked the ear. And if we can identify that immediately and an ENT or primary care institutes a, like a medication-based treatment immediately, there's a chance that that hearing will return. Unfortunately, what largely happens is people have this very you know, critical change in hearing and they think, oh gosh, that's weird. Let me see what happens tomorrow. Or, oh, I must have some congestion in the system. Or they go to they go to like a emergency room or walk-in care and are told, try Sudafed for a bit and see if, you know, see if that's helpful. And the care just gets delayed. And then that hearing is typically permanently gone. So I always love to bring up, like, if you or someone you know experiences an acute change in hearing in a short period of time, call your doctor demand that it's important. And if you were to call an audiology clinic uh, that we would get you in that that day, there's some background work that has to happen, but that's it's time sensitive and we would see it that day. I would much rather see all the people who had sudden hearing loss and be able to say, oh no, it, it is just fluid in the ears, you know, than, than to miss someone. Well, we haven't even gotten to talk about um, types of hearing aids and other kinds of devices that are helpful, but we do need to go to a break and we have lots of questions coming in. We are talking about helping with hearing loss and caring for your hearing on Maine Calling. Our phone number 1-800-399-3566. You can send a brief email to talk at mainepublic.org or comment on Facebook or Instagram. We'll be right back. Listener support brings us Maine Calling with help from EcoMaine, reminding you that recycling works for Maine. Learn how you can help keep another billion pounds out of Maine landfills at ecomaine.org. And Mechanical Services, dedicated to safer schools, medical, and industrial facilities statewide through energy-efficient HVAC solutions. Americans across the political spectrum say they're worried about the country's future. If we can't agree on common definitions of reality and what's really happening in the country, I don't know how we fix anything. 
Hi, I'm Ray Suarez. On this week's episode of Unshifting Ground, a new series asks why Americans have lost their faith in democracy and what it will take to get it back. And that can be heard this afternoon at 2 o'clock here on Maine Public Radio. Spring is still weeks away, but Maine Public's vehicle donation drive is already in full bloom. Now is a great time to weed out your old car or truck to make space for warm weather fun. When you donate a vehicle to Maine Public between now and April 30th, you'll have a chance to win a $500 gift certificate to a garden center of your choice. To learn more about our in-bloom vehicle drive, please visit mainepublic.org and click on Community. Welcome back. This is Maine Calling. I'm Jennifer Rooks. What to know about seeking help from an audiologist for adults and children with hearing loss or hearing concerns. With me today, Nicole Duncan, who is a pediatric audiologist with the Warren Center for Speech and Hearing in Bangor, and Krista Riccioni, audiologist at Yarmouth Audiology. Share your comments and questions. Do you know someone? who doesn't realize they need hearing care, send an email to talk at mainpublic.org, comment on Facebook or Instagram, or give us a call at 1-800-399-3566. Calling in now is Lori Mack, who is Executive Director of Northeast Hearing and Speech in Portland. Thanks so much for calling in, Lori. Well, thank you so much for having me. This is a really important topic. I understand Northeast Hearing and Speech is marking its 100th anniversary this year, um, and you're doing something special uh, to celebrate. Tell us about that. Well, we're hosting a number of community events, but a couple of them that are really we're really excited about um, is uh, Hear University. It's a, a series of workshops that we're hoping to pull together for clients who are new to wearing hearing aids or clients who are interested in learning more about how they can communicate better with people with hearing loss. Uh, Some people have been calling in and uh, coming in with challenges connecting their hearing aids to their phones or they have questions about over-the-counter devices or they want to learn how to change batteries. So the Hear University is going to be kind of like a a client-led conversation that anyone can join and we hope to launch that in June of this year. And uh, along with a stuttering support group and a group for parents of children with autism. So they're kind of all celebratory events. And in addition to that, we're uh, currently launching a hearing screening program because there have been challenges in our community getting children in for hearing testing or screenings before they start intervention. And Nicole had talked about the importance of that. So that's another program that is happening now through our Association with Child Development Services. Wow, that's a lot. <laughs> Congratulations, <laughs> Lori. Um, I, before we let you go, though, I want to ask you, um, you know, we all know that hearing aids are expensive, and I'm wondering what kind of resources or, or advice you can give people um, to help them be able to either mitigate the cost or even get them for free. Well, uh, there are quite a few organizations that work with people of uh, all different age and and financial means, and one of the programs is Vocational Rehabilitation, Disability Rights Maine. These are programs that um, can help with funding, but also the first step is just meeting with an audiologist and learning about what your hearing loss is and looking at all the different options, because many programs have more than one hearing aid available and it depends kind of on what your needs are and then can help you either set up a, a treatment program, uh, uh, a way to work through one of the programs such as disability rights or vocational main or something of that nature. But again, the first step is just finding out what you need and then going mm-hmm. from there. Lori, thanks so much for calling in. Lori Mack with Northeast Hearing and Speech. Uh, we're going to go to Ben, who's calling from Auburn. Hi, Ben. Go ahead. Hello. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, good. I'm a retired ENT doctor, and I had a spell of sudden acute idiopathic sensory neural hearing loss several years ago, and I got it treated within 12 hours, which is how it ought to be done. And I just want to reinforce what the lady said. I'm sorry I tuned in late and I didn't catch her name. But she was right on saying, this is an emergency. You should see an audiologist or your primary care practitioner or somebody within 24 hours and wow. get destroyed as soon as you possibly can because if you wait more than a week the hearing loss will probably be permanent 
You should not wait. Ben, thank you so much for calling and telling us about your experience. Um, can you can you tell us a little bit more when you had that sudden loss of hearing and you went in, what happened? What did they do that um, made it so that you were able to recover your hearing? Well, I was very lucky. It happened on a Sunday morning. I called my partner, ENT, and he saw me that morning. He found nothing wrong with my ears. He started the steroids between before an audiogram was even done on my uh, testament. Uh, and by the next day, I was noticing that my hearing was improving, and by a week, it had almost completely recovered. I don't know if that was because I got the steroids or I just got lucky. But that's what everybody should do if they are hit with this problem. And it will happen to approximately one out of 100 people if you live to be 80 years old there's a significant probability that it will happen to you. I have many friends to whom it has happened. So it is an emergency. You've got to deal with it right away and be very insistent if you want your hearing back. Well, Ben, thank you so much for calling in and sharing your experience, Ben, a retired ENT doctor who experienced sudden hearing loss. On the line with us now, Weekend Edition Saturday host, Scott Simon. Uh, Last Saturday for his Simon Says essay, he shared how he is going to give the gift of hearing to his wife this Valentine's Day. Scott, welcome back to the program. And tell us about this, this gift of hearing. I'm sorry, Jennifer, could you speak up? Okay, I had to get that joke out of my system. Um, First time today I've heard that joke. Yeah, I bet you've heard that a lot today. Uh, You know, uh, I, I have been, my family has been complaining about my hearing loss for a number of years now. Uh, I came back from some war a few years ago. The percussive thump was particularly bad, and my right ear kind of blew up. It was it, it, inside. It was treated. And I had a, um, an appointment with an audiologist who said, before I do this and that test, is there any chance in hell you would ever wear a hearing aid? And I said, none whatsoever. And she said, okay, that will, uh, that will, that will guide my advice. In any event, you know, I've just been increasingly a, a pain in the keister to my family. They would, uh, you know, they would uh, ask to pass the broccoli, and I'd say, of course, we can play Monopoly. Uh, You know, and they would roll their eyes and take a look and got tired of repeating themselves. And, uh, you know, finally, I heard it (laughs) in a a way I didn't want to. Uh, So, uh, you know, to communicate with my family. I mean, in our line of work, Jennifer, as I don't have to tell you, we have, uh, if I might refer to it as an advantage, we can kind of sometimes professionally keep hearing loss from ourselves because so much of what we do, we, you know, we have a headset on. But we can't keep it away in our, um, in our personal lives. And it was just becoming a drag on my family and, uh, you know, my uh, ability to banter with them if they had to keep repeating themselves. So I thought, yep, okay, I'm going to do it. So I went to the audiologist. And on Valentine's Day, I get my hearing aids. Wow, congratulations. I want to go back to the when you said no way, that you're not going to get hearing aids. I want to ask you why you think you were so dead set against them at first and what message you would want to say to others who have the same response that you did. Well, it was undoubtedly vanity. Uh, You know, I didn't want to be perceived as being frail or, or, or aged as I got older. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm married to the most beautiful woman in the world, and uh, I, you know, I, didn't, I didn't want to appear frail. Uh, and, you know, and it was simply vanity and self-consciousness and embarrassment. I don't want to say simply, because that's a complicated emotion. But I, I, I didn't want to give in to that. And uh, I was wrong. I mean, maybe I shouldn't have done it exactly at that moment 10 years ago, but I've been, uh, you know, I've been wrong. And uh, I quoted a friend uh, on the air in my essay on Saturday, uh, a guy who I consider the coolest guy I know. His name is Scott Simons. We have been uh, friends over the years. Uh, he's a, he has a totally extraneous S at the end of his name. But he's, uh, he's the music director on America's Got Talent, and uh, he sings the Paw Patrol theme song. Paw Patrol, Paw Patrol. And uh, so he's, he, you know, he has his own rock band. He's, he's a very cool guy and an accomplished musician. And we have been friends, um, you know, for years. And he is younger than I am. He's barely in his 40s. And he's had hearing aids since the age of 18. And as he said to me, 
you know, what's worse uh, to be occasionally seen wearing a hearing aid and they're becoming enormously sleek, by the way, or misunderstanding something because you're too vain to wear a hearing aid. That could have real consequences. And when, when he said that to me, I thought, OK, OK, uh, you know, it was just it was just time for me to do it. And boy, is my family looking forward to it. And, you know, and people have been telling me, um, you know, there, there's a whole world out there that I've been missing because I haven't been hearing it. I mean, um, I probably haven't heard the rustle of leaves in a few years. <laughs> oh, I know that that's a big thing in Maine. I understand, and you know, in the city, not so much. But in any event, I'm so I'm looking, uh, I'm looking forward to that. But you know, mostly, you know, I uh, I want to do this for my family. Um, Scott, it's it's just shocking to all of us to see that just over the wires right now news that. Bob Edwards has died, Um, award-winning radio host who built NPR's Morning Edition. Uh, I I think the news has been announced since we've been on the air just now. And so for all of you, including myself, who is just now hearing this, um, we have you here on the phone with us, Scott. What would you like to say about Bob Edwards? Oh, he was an amazing guy. He was bright, funny. He had a voice that was, you know, straight from the right hand of God. Um, he had such a wry sense of humor. He was, this is, is going to seem maybe a little interior, but he was the best cold reader I've ever known, which is to say you could pick up a phone book from the middle of Budapest and throw it at him. And he would read the names flawlessly. He was, you know, without any rehearsal or, you know, coaching or anything like that. And, you know, he got, he got, he made NPR, Bob, along with Nina Totenberg and Linda Wertheimer, who, you know, just retired. And of course, the great Susan Stamberg and Cokie Roberts uh, made NPR a household fixture, a household name, uh, put us in kitchens, put us in bedrooms, uh, made us a part of the everyday lives of tens of millions of Americans. And um, Bob, you know, had a, had a very incisive, sonorous in the best way manner that made you understand this was the big leagues. This wasn't, uh, you know, an experiment. This was the big leagues. This the, the, this was the major leagues of broadcasting. And um, you know, I, I when you know he there was a little disagreement with NPR. He he left, and I think it was two thousand four. And I made a point of sitting in the studio with him for his last broadcast. (laughs) To show you his sense of humor, he looked over at me at one point and he said, you know, Scooter, this just goes to show you, it only takes about five minutes to go from beloved national institution to person of concern. (laughs) (laughs) And he called you Scooter. I love that. Oh, my gosh. That's that's, that's, that's what my friends call me. You can call me Scooter, too. Oh, well, Scooter, um, before we let you go, one of our guests today has a a bit of advice for you. Um, Nicole, go ahead. Yeah, so I just, in in that you're, you know, starting this journey with hearing aids this week, I wanted to just share with you what I share with my patients when they get their hearing aids for the first time, and that it's not always something you will love on the first couple of days. You know, the brain has this adaptation process that it goes through when you lose your hearing. And then we start putting the sound back in. The brain has to go through that adaptation process again to learn how to use some of those sounds. And so just be patient with yourself over the course of the first week or so. Things are going to sound different. You might not love all of it at first, but if you wear the hearing aids, if you wear them most of the day, each of those days, it will get rapidly better in a, in a pretty quick way. Scott, are you good at being okay. patient with yourself? <laughs> no, not at all. But in any event, I will—I uh, I can guarantee you this is going to be the source of enormous frustration and me saying to my wife, why did I do this? No, 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 no. But, but hearing your sage advice, I will, uh, I will uh, I'll do my best to act as a mature human being, which is sometimes very difficult for me. Uh, but uh, maybe our children can help me. And Dr. Krista Riccioni also wants to chime in. Go ahead, Krista. 
And Scott, I just want to say congratulations to you. It's it's so exciting. You will find your quality of life will just skyrocket with it. And a lot of people go into the saying, oh, my gosh, I will look frail. I might feel frail, but you will feel younger, like I was saying mm-hmm. earlier. And how you are perceived matters when you're there getting that joke on the first time. And I had someone not long ago say their friend told them, I'm going to the store to get bananas. And then they go to Macy's and it was pajamas. So it's like all those fun (laughs) things you can laugh about, but it's nice when you're on the other side of it and you can laugh, but knowing that you actually heard it the first time. So congratulations. I said this this to our daughters once when they said, can we stop at Trader Joe's as a joke? I said to them, what do you want with later hosen? (laughs) (laughs) You didn't get any eye rolls there. Did you? (laughs) <laughs> I, uh, I will i will come up with, with with if there's one thing i'm confident about in my future it's my ability to come up with dad jokes <laughs> well scott simon what a pleasure to hear from you today congratulations scott simon weekend edition saturday host but you already knew that you can hear his simon says essay on the gift of hearing by visiting our website facebook or instagram pages we'll be right back welcome back i'm jennifer rooks you're listening to maine calling our top today hearing care including hearing aids and other questions related to hearing loss with me two audiologists Krista Riccioni with Yarmouth Audiology and Nicole Duncan with Warren Center for Speech and Hearing in Bangor so many calls coming in I'll give out the phone number not sure how many more people will get to 1-800-399-3566 1-800-399-3566 we'll go to Randy calling from Bucksport. Hi, Randy. Go ahead. Good morning. Can you hear me okay? Yes, go ahead. Yes, okay, good. Hey, great topic today. My question is, my wife and I have both been told that if our hearing loss had been in place for long enough, that the brain might have forgotten how to hear those frequencies and that hearing aids might not uh, do any good for those frequencies. Um, Okay, great. Let's ask Dr. Riccioni. Go ahead, Krista. Yeah, I've heard people say that before, and I, again, believe that the brain is designed to adapt to change, and that means you can reverse course. You, yes, for if you've gone many years and you haven't heard a certain part of the pitch range as well, there could have been a little deprivation, maybe a little atrophy in the brain, but wearing hearing aids, there's been a lot of research showing that those neural pathways regrow. So you have a lot of potential to recover a lot of use of your hearing again. Having said that, a full evaluation includes lots of speech testing and quiet and in noise to give us a better idea of how how much distortion is in your hearing system. There's the acuity, how well are you hearing the pitches, but there's how, how clear that sound is being sent to your brain for each ear. That can factor in the prediction for how well you'll do with hearing aids. But, you know, a good provider will educate you so you understand overall what the expectations are. But for most people they come back and they just say, gosh, I wish I'd done this sooner. But um, like what Nicole was saying earlier, the people who wear hearing aids the most consistently benefit the most from them. That constant stimulation, wearing hearing aids, even if you're alone at home, your brain is hearing that background sound, the, those incidental sounds, the refrigerator comes on, but your brain needs to hear and decide in the background, should I pay attention to this or not? Constant stimulation is healthy. And for most people, they thrive. Randy, thanks for your question. Um, we will move on to Todd, who's calling from Standish. Hi, Todd, go ahead. Hi. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, just want to make a comment that they say you should get your hearing checked soon and be an ENT doctor. Well, it's next to impossible to get into a C1 within six months. Yeah, thanks, Todd. Big shortage. Uh, go ahead, Krista. Not the only kind of specialist that there's a shortage of either. Go ahead. Yeah, and I've done lots of testing at ear, nose, throat physicians' offices. They have spots for urgent people. You can get your primary care provider to send a referral. They 
they have places open for these needs. Okay, Todd, thanks for calling in. Uh, Jen on Facebook writes that Penobscot Theater Company in Bangor is raising funds to install a hearing loop system. We're thrilled to be able to increase accessibility for all patrons. Nicole, I'm so glad that Jen posted this because I wanted to talk about some of the things other than hearing aids that are going on. I mean, technology is really opening things up from theater companies to um, just everyday life. Go ahead. Sure. So what she's talking about is this magnetic loop called a telecoil, and it's actually been around for a really long time, but somehow it keeps popping back up into the news as this new technology. I think what's changing is we're talking about it a little bit more. If you were to go to a big city and see a Broadway show or even, you know, take the... Um, I think the subway in London has a magnetic loop, for example, then you can, if you have the uh, the hearing, if you have the type of hearing aid that has the right technology in it, you can tap into that sound system and get that input directly into your hearing aids. Um, some, it's a, it's a pretty exciting thing that the Penobscot Theater is doing that. And um, some of the challenges I think we'll face is a lot of hearing aids right now don't have that magnetic loop in it because uh, people want as small as possible when they are talking about their hearing aids. So as soon as we learned that the Penobscot Theater was doing that, we're starting to kind of bring that into conversation when we're talking with our patients about what type of hearing aids might be appropriate for them. If they're a person who does a lot of public outings like that, or they have a, you know, they go to a lot of Penobscot Theater shows or, you know, trips to New York City or something like that, it's now part of our conversation of, oh, we should put that piece of technology in your hearing aid so you have that access. We'll go to Patty calling from St. George. Hi, Patty. Go ahead. Hi. Patty, are you there? Go ahead with your question, please. Oh, dear. Hopefully, no, Patty will call no, back. No, no, no. Oh, okay, I'm go here. ahead. No, yeah, I'm go. Here. Please okay, ask your I question. Get the signal. Yes, um, I've heard about hearing aids for tinnitus, and I'm wondering about, I'm tuned in late, I'm wondering about the cost of hearing aids, if there's any assistance for them. Great question. And I know both of our guests want to talk about that. Go ahead, Nicole. Absolutely. So um, tinnitus and hearing loss tend to go hand in hand. There's a whole lot more we could say about that on a, maybe perhaps another program someday. Um, but generally speaking, if there is sound stimulation to the ear, it helps a person not notice their tinnitus as much. And one form of doing that is through putting hearing aids in place. So we do notice a lot with our patients with tinnitus that their tinnitus is lessened it's reduced when they're using their hearing aids. So that's one of the positive outcomes right there. The second part of your question was about resources. And I, I love that you brought that up because many people say, I didn't come in for so long because I know I can't afford hearing aids. And I'm fortunate to work in a clinic with a with an agency that really supports us in helping people who don't have as many resources. Um, there are so many agencies um, that are available that we could refer people to. Um, uh, commercial insurance coverage for adults has really improved. There was a passing of LD82 a few years back that mandates some form of insurance coverage for hearing aids. Uh, there are specific ones that are now covering, like, like Wellcare, for example, is helping adults um, obtain hearing aids. Um, children, are there's mandated coverage. So there's Yes, there are still people who do end up having to purchase hearing aids out of pocket, but it's there's so many more available things that we can kind of help guide people to once we learn a little bit more about what their hearing loss looks like and what their needs are. So that first step, like Krista was saying earlier, is getting a diagnostic hearing test. Patty, thanks for your call. An email here from Howard. How does one research over-the-counter hearing aids? Uh, Krista, and, and, and if you can actually explain, too, what Howard's talking about, um, the, the whole sort of um, uh, what's available out there changed very recently, correct? Yes, it was October of 2022 when the FDA um, started allowing over-the-counter hearing aids to be sold. Some big differences between over-the-counter and prescription hearing aids are um, with a prescription, you do need to have a hearing evaluation. It will be programmed specifically for your hearing needs. For over-the-counter hearing aids, 
you may or may not have a hearing evaluation with this. Is this something that the hearing test is done over the computer? Lots of wild cards with that. These are self-adjusting and, or sometimes they come with some rudimentary programs with them. I will say many times when people are new to the hearing aid experience, they say, gosh, you know, it just sounds tinny. It's just not the quality I'm after. And my response is, that is good. This is your brain noticing all of a sudden we're bringing a lot of sound back for you. It's like turning the lights back on. You need to adjust. But if you have an over-the-counter hearing aid and you're self-adjusting, you may not know what your specific hearing goals are. So Krista, your email from Howard is asking, how does one research over-the-counter hearing aids? And what I'm hearing from you is, please don't try to do it on your own. Please go to an audiologist. It's good. good question. It's... Um, over-the-counter hearing aids are designed for self-perceived mild to moderate hearing loss. This is the Wild West right now. So many companies are throwing their hat in the ring with all their brands. I don't know all the brands. I don't know if anyone really will know how this will all pan out. It's pretty much buyer beware. If you do decide to buy some, make sure it has a refund policy. So you can try them out and return them if you do change your mind. Just educate yourself on what are your rights as a consumer. What are you getting? What are you not getting with that? With prescription hearing aids, you do have a provider who will walk with you through the step of acclimating to them and giving you a service package with them. Does over-the-counter give you a service package even if it's someone online? look up those questions. All right. An email here from Jessica. Can you talk about the role of cochlear implants and a cochlear implants in older patients who are failing with hearing aids? My sister has severe hearing loss and wears hearing aids uh, for, has from a, for about 15 years. She's 79 now and they no longer work for her. I too have some hearing loss. I've been wearing hearing aids for about 11 years. I'm doing well currently. What is the likelihood I'll progress to her status? Nicole. Yeah, so our clinic does um, have a cochlear implant um, portion. So we do see a lot of children and adults with cochlear implants. Cochlear implants are ideal for people who um, have too much hearing loss for hearing aids to be helpful. And there's that's that's a that's a gray thing to say because we want to make sure that this individual has been diagnosed appropriately, that they've been well fit with hearing aids, that we're really maximizing what the non-surgical aspects could be of their hearing health care. But but once you progress to a point where you have too much hearing loss for hearing aids to be helpful, cochlear implants are just a really marvelous fascinating technology um, that will require a good audiologist, an ear, nose, and throat surgeon that specializes in this, and a very long rehabilitative process to help the brain adapt to that type of technology. An email from Bruce. My wife had some hearing loss due to a high fever she had as a child. She now wears two hearing aids. She removes them from time to time for vacuuming and such. Is she potentially still damaging her hearing by not protecting her ears? Do inner ear canals aids protect from damage or should she just leave them in and turn them down? Uh, Krista. Good question. Hearing aids have a saturation point. They won't get so loud if they're programmed appropriately to not damage your hearing, but they do not serve as ear plugs even if you turn them off. They're not designed like that. Sound pressure level, noise is noise, doesn't matter what your hearing is like. If it's loud enough, it can cause damage. So always put headphones over the hearing aids or take them out and put earplugs in. But yeah, hearing aids will not, should not damage your hearing, but will not protect your hearing. Great. We're going to go to David calling from Bar Harbor. David, I hate to tell you this, but we're tight on time. So if you could be quick, that'd be great. Yeah, I lost uh, hearing in one ear a, a while back, and I was homeless. I couldn't get to a place to have it checked out right away. Anyways, so I noticed over the last uh, couple of months, it seems like a little bit of that hearing has come back. Is that possible it could come back more or not? 
Yeah, so um, I think what you're saying is you really could use a good diagnostic hearing test so we can define that further. Could it come back? Sure. It, there's a lot of different causes of hearing loss, so it's hard to, to be more specific than that. Um, but we do have people who have ups and downs in their hearing journey for sure. Good luck to you, David. Thanks so much for calling in. Um, I have a question here. I won't read the whole thing because we're tight on time, but about earwax and a buildup of earwax for the elderly. This person is asking, Beatty's asking if this can only be done in a doctor's office because of insurance. Krista. Not necessarily, but if you do eardrops on your own, something over the counter, anything that's not your body temperature can cause dizziness. And it's on my mind as a person gets older, there can be an increased fall risk. So I tell people if they really want to do something on their own, put those eardrops in or some liquid in, try to make it your body temperature, sit on the bed just in case you do get dizzy. But ideally talk to your primary care provider about other options that could be safer for you. You don't know if there's a hole in your eardrum. Most people don't have that, but you want to make sure that you have a healthy ear to do this. And if you feel like you have any itching, anything else, you really need a professional taking a look in there to make sure it's not something besides just wax. And since we're so tight on time, I'm going to ask a super quick question. George wants to know if we ought to be wearing uh, earplugs if we're swimming uh, to prevent swimmer's ear. I can tell you that most of the time you're okay, but I do see a lot of people who have a history of swimming in cold water, and sometimes that can cause some extra bumps in those ear canals. It's, you know, some people call it surfer's ear. You're, again, your primary care provider should be able to tell you if that's a problem, but overall, okay. no, swim away. Oh, good. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much, both of you for joining us. And I apologize to anyone whose question we didn't get to. Um, our guest today, Nicole Duncan, an audiologist at the Warren Center for Speech, part of Penobscot Community Healthcare, and Krista Riccioni, audiologist at Yarmouth Audiology. Today's sound engineer was Sandra Harris. Main calling is produced by Jonathan Smith and Cindy Hahn. Tomorrow on the program, we're going to talk about the role of hospice care and different kinds of hospice care in Maine. I'm Jennifer Rooks, and you have been listening to Maine Calling on Maine Public Radio.